Hey there, it's JVL on The Secret Show with Sarah Longwell today. We spilled some tea about some stuff going down with no labels. We talked about Chris Christie and we looked at the absolute train wreck that's about to happen in Iowa. Here's the show. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about somebody who has been realistic and good. Christopher Christie. My boy. Okay. Do you uh do you have any thoughts? Yeah. I wrote about him yesterday. I don't know if you read it or not. I haven't read it yet, man. <laughs> you know why I keep doing this bit? Because it works every damn time. <laughs> Wait, what what was your newsletter yesterday? Unimportant. We're uh, <laughs> so I I what I was saying is that I was wrong about Chris Christie. And I, I just wanted to put that on the record, and uh, and also indulge in a little bit of what I think actually isn't West Wing fantasy politics. That I think the logic of everything he's done suggests that by August he should endorse Biden. Wait, the four million dollar bond fares of the GOP donor class ban- vanities? Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, you got to keep reading. It's further. Down. I write three things every every day. It's a, it's <laughs> that a triad. It's called there the triad. Are, yeah. So, uh, but I'm glad to know that you skimmed the headlines. That's, that's excellent. Too. Did well, you see you the, know, the I... comment somebody left? Of, uh, it was like, "Hey, JVL is so desperate for Sarah to read him that he he wrote a piece for the Atlantic, which he knows there's a chance she'll see." <laughs> and I had absolutely read that piece. <laughs> absolutely read it, and it was a it's because it's it's your preposterous theory of Nikki Haley as VP. So I had to hate read it. Uh, and great. I'm glad. I'm glad your dreams are coming true. Uh, you know why that I I did skim this, but it's all it was like Batman references everywhere. I was like, I saw a Joker video and said, this isn't for me. Uh, I'll get to just <laughs> you should see his face right now. Uh, what? So so your gist is that that you were wrong about Chris Christie because what did you say about Chris Christie? I get you and Tim confused sometimes. Uh, I just didn't think he would have the sand to go the full Liz, and I was wrong about Liz too, right? I mean, people, I, I I I cheerfully admit this. I did not think that Liz Cheney would be willing to to do the full Thelma and Louise over the cliff, and yeah. I didn't think christie would either and i was wrong on both of them and i'm so happy to have been wrong and uh i'm deeply deeply appreciative to both of them for conducting themselves with wisdom and honor yeah he he ran uh, so you know i i can't remember i've been i have wanted him to get out um i have said publicly he should get out and i have felt even a little conflicted about this because it's hard to say hey, you guy doing the right thing need to get out for the person who's doing the like not particularly right thing because that person has a better chance of beating Donald Trump. Um, But I think that his pragmatism won out. In part, I just think he didn't want to be – he didn't want to do it again, right? Yeah. Well, he gets to have it both ways here in the good sense. Like he's getting out so his voters can go to her. But he's also stating very clearly – that like he's not creating a permission structure, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, he's doing That's the opposite. Right. He's actually That's building right. the the permission structure for getting off of that spot. Yeah, uh, and so and that that was very wise. You know, it's I mean, it seems obvious once he does it, but for me, it hadn't even really occurred to me. Like, well, he could just drop out and also say that anybody who endorses Trump is unfit. 
you know, that that is a cutting of the Gordian knot, which, again, I think is very wise and honorable. Yeah. Uh, honorable, I think, is the right term here. I think he has um, he he did he did a lot of good um, it, by being in the race, by telling the truth. Um, and I also think like it's it's important for people. It's one of the reasons I have such a hard time making the bull case for Nikki Haley is that to do that, I have to live in a fantasy place around Republican voters. And I have to basically say that everything I think I know about Republican voters is wrong. Uh, but I think it's important to recognize that a guy like Chris Christie or any or someone like Liz who tells the truth about Donald Trump, they're out. Their negatives yeah. are in the 80s and the party doesn't want them. And I think it's important. I think I think we do ourselves a disservice if we don't see the Republican Party clearly and getting too high on the hopium of Nikki is for me to then ignore everything I've seen about how these voters have changed. And I don't think we can effectively combat the Republican Party as it stands now if we're seeing, if we think like, oh, no, no, there's still more than half the party in there that's normal and or that would vote for Nikki Haley. And I just don't think that's true. Yeah, I, I think that's entirely. And if it wasn't Trump, the party would prefer somebody like DeSantis to her, even as as compromised as DeSantis is. So here, I want to talk to you about something we talked about last night on the show. It was a very good show. Um, me, A.B., and Mona. I like A.B. and Mona so much. In fact, I, I was joking. So I get to talk So I get to talk to you every week because we do the show. I get to talk to A.B. every week because she and I do a show. But I hardly ever get to talk to Mona, and I miss her. And so I said, you and I should just like start doing a podcast together so that I have an opportunity to catch up with you during the week. Because that's the only way I have to communicate with my friends is mm. to create public-facing products with them. <laughs> so, uh, But we, we were talking about DeSantis, and Mona watched a little bit of the debate. And she had to turn off because she found Ron DeSantis so utterly repellent. Yes. And Mona, we did, we had like all caps Mona last night on just on the subject of what a horrible, horrible political commodity Ron DeSantis was. It was amazing. And I, I said to her, I said, so listen, you, we know all of these people in conservatism, Inc., who just pushed all of their chips into the center of the table on the subject of Ron DeSantis beginning in like the summer of 2021. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is an honest question. Had they never heard him speak? Hmm. Right. Had, had they just read things about him or seen tweets from his office? Because it seems to me that anybody who understands anything about politics after five minutes of watching him converse in any way with any other human being would have said, Ooh, this guy's going to be a heavy lift because this guy is not a good conventional politician. He's got problems. Like his voice is bad. He's whiny. He's short. He doesn't like interact in a normal way with others. Uh, like, w did these people just not see them? And uh, before I give you Mona's answer, I would ask you the, the question: What are your thoughts? Because I was just genuinely stumped. Like, I'm like, did Charles C. Cook? not ever actually see Ron DeSantis talk before he decided that Ron DeSantis was the future of the Republican Party? Yeah, my guess is, is they really didn't and that they were so desperate for a fusion candidate that they thought they could be for, that Republican voters could also be for, that they saw in Ron DeSantis like an opportunity to re 
engage with the base of the party, that they would be able – he would be respectable enough for them to support him and psychotic enough for the base to support him. Um, and I think that just turned out to be wrong. Uh, but the idea that they hadn't seen him, I don't know. I mean, so listen, just not to go into a Sarah's always right thing, but I went back and listened to this debate that I did. There's this thing called the Monk Debates, which is like the Canadian version of Debate Squared on NPR or whatever. And it had uh, the question uh, put on the table. It was me and Elaine Kmark, who I like very much, uh, was resolved uh, Ron DeSantis will be the Republican nominee. And they based, they asked me, they were like, which side do you want to argue? And I was like, well, I can do either. Uh, and they were like, well, well, which one would you choose? And I was like, I'll take Trump, uh, that, that Trump's going to be the nominee. And Elaine wanted DeSantis. So I said, okay, great. And I went back and listened to the debate. And the main, I'm arguing, the extent to which I am right is so deep in this thing. It is about the, <laughs> how, it is about the, I talk about how the relationship right now, there's a lot of Ron DeSantis curious voters for sure, but their relationship with Trump is deep and their relationship with Ron DeSantis is shallow. And also I say, if you talk to any reporter who reports on this guy in Florida, they will all tell you he has a glass jaw, he's got a personality problem, that his inner circle is just his wife and that he doesn't trust anybody. Uh, and, uh, and and it all like that was it. People who did watch him closely did know that he was not the he was not the guy that had been built up in the public imagination, uh, and that he was going to have real problems. And I think that uh, yeah, it was out of desperation that the NRO guys and other people decided Ron DeSantis was the future because they that's why they didn't even decide to vet him or give him a look. They just. They just tried to make it, will it into being. But what was Mona's answer? I bet it was smarter than that. It was, it was very similar to that, actually. Mona's answer was that it was never about DeSantis. It was always about them. Mm-hmm. And they needed they needed something that they had to to be for, right? There's, I mean, yes. you know, there, there's a, a place there. There's a pedestal there that something has to get put on uh, if it's not going to be Trump. And they didn't want it to be Trump. But they also couldn't go against Trump. And so picking DeSantis, and as as you say, uh, was a way to say, see, we're with the people. We're with the real conservatives who also kind of like him. And this buys us a couple years before we have to go back to Trump. Yeah. It was just bu- about buying time because they they knew in their hearts that they would be forced to go back to Trump. And, you know, at the end of the day, Right there, maybe Trump pieces, and you know, and uh, oh, I'm not sure about that. I thought I think people like I think they continued to misunderstand Republican voters, and thought like, no, 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 enough of them will want to move on, uh, and that they thought he was the future. I don't think they thought it was definitely going to be Trump again. Maybe, but again, that that's an analytical failing. I don't. I mean, I've been saying that it was going to be Trump again since October of 2020, before the yeah, election. Yeah, JBL's always right. And He's the rightest right. I don't... But here's the thing. I don't think that took, like, a deep and special insight. I think I was just looking at all of the available facts on the ground and extrapolating in a fairly modest way. I don't know. I wouldn't like, go this back was and not, hear what I don't I look at saying. that and think that, like, this is me. This is the example of me being a great seer. I think, mm. actually, it was obvious. And... I bet I wasn't sure because I I was really I I just if I put myself right back at the end of 2022 and the beginning of 2023, 
I was I was caught off guard by how much voters wanted to move on from Trump in the focus groups. Um, but this was the thing. They needed somebody to move on to. And it was always going to come down to, I think that Ron DeSantis, if he'd been a different candidate and a different person, run a different campaign, but had some of the elements of being the governor that they love from a state that they love, like you could have gotten somewhere. I think the problem was he wasn't very good at it. And also that the rhythms of politics have really changed. You know, Trump getting in as early as he got in seemed kind of weird at the time. And now, like, by the time DeSantis got in, it was like over, you know? Trump had defined the race. Trump was defining DeSantis before he got in. To the extent that there was space for people to move on to somebody else, the only person who it would have worked with is somebody like Tucker. If there had been another out-of-nowhere populist MAGA, like a real populist MAGA, then maybe people could have moved on. But it wasn't going to be just like a politician. You know, it wasn't going to be some senator or some governor. Yeah. I, I, I don't think. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's probably right. Yeah. You know, here, maybe here's the difference. You know, we talk about epistemic closure. So I am never around conservative ink people, right? Like I, I have almost no contact with conservative elites. I have a lot of contact with MAGAs. Yeah. Like in my daily day-to-day life, I see I see plenty of MAGA voters all the time, talk with them and chit-chat with them at, you know, the pickup line at school and stuff. Uh I think that a lot of those people are the opposite. Like they are ensconced in conservative elite circles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, I think know, that's they, right. They, they, everybody they know is at AEI or Heritage or you know, book parties and stuff. But they live in, you know, like like DC suburbs or something. And I don't know that they, I don't know how many actual MAGA voters they know. <laughs> no, I think that's exactly <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, like they, they know plenty of people who vote for Trump because there are other people in conservative elite circles who who have voted for Trump. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't Maybe think I'm so. wrong. I, I, I think I, I, I've I argued this all the time. I think even Nikki Haley and Mike Pence, I still think the Republican Party has a Reagan hangover uh, and doesn't realize what's happened to it. I think the people leading the party don't realize what's happened to the voters. Ah, good times. Good times. So uh, the only other thing, I guess, is Iowa, which I, I just want two minutes to talk about it. Just two. I see you're sighing. Unless you got to go. Is this a hard out for you? No, it's not. It's not even. I just, I've been on TV talking, like trying to make Iowa interesting for like a couple weeks. And I am just like, it is not interesting. Maybe it'll be interesting because it'll be so cold. So cold. You know, here's the thing. Do you know who I've got on the pod this weekend? Uh, I do. Do you want me to pretend I don't so you can no. do a big reveal? No, you can tell me if you know. Uh, it's a seltzer. Yeah. I've yeah. Selzer from Iowa. And one of the interesting things, it's such a good conversation. She's so smart. She knows everything about Iowa. And it's the it's might be the only Iowa conversation I've been just like deeply interested and engaged in uh, because she had a lot of just unbelievably good insights, both about polling. She also does a lot of focus groups. I think she really understands the voters. Um, I think I was it was nice. I think she felt like our stuff really reflected exactly what she'd been seeing as well. And so I feel like um, it reinforced my sense. But one of the things that she was talking about is just how much more professionalized Trump's campaign is this time around. Mm-hmm. And that in, 20, um, in 2016, when people talk about Trump losing Iowa, 
part of that was like they had no organization. Like crews had a real organization on the right. ground and were able to really organize people to get out to the caucuses. She says the Trump organization now, like they've got these little hats with that are like in gold letters, like they're highly visible. Um, and they've got, so they've got all these precinct captains who are there responsible for organizing and getting their people to the caucuses. And she was like, you know, may, maybe this DeSantis, the guys at the DeSantis's thing have, you know, some kind of a crown game to see, but she just, I think she actually, she was pretty careful about not, you know, criticizing anybody, but I was pretty critical because I just think that the chances that Trump turns people out at a much higher percentage than anybody because it's going to be like negative 20. Like, hmm. so this is like, you've got to decide, like, do you love a candidate enough to freeze your ass off? Who do we think they love enough? Oh, it's probably going to be Ron DeSantis. I mean, that guy uh, inspires such deep passions in people. Right, they're gonna be uh, out there with their frozen. Pudding. They're gonna dip their fingers into pudding while they're in line, and their fingers will freeze instantly in the pudding. They'll have like a frozen pudding have cup a pudding on their pop. fingers. They'll have a pudding pop. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so here's the only the only interesting thing I have to say about Iowa, and I'm writing about this today, and I'll just talk with you about it now, so that you don't have to read it. It's a time saver for me. I believe that Ron DeSantis is desperate to finish third. He wants to finish third. Yes, that that is, is my these, belief. You have insane takes. Your takes are just, what are you talking about? If DeSantis finishes third, and a close third, right? If he finishes a point, two you, points behind You think Mickey, he can strap out just and stop the pain and that's good, yes. that he's happy about that? Yes. <laughs> I don't think so. And if he beats her, and God forbid he beats her like by five points... Then he has to stay into New Hampshire. Do you know what he's I pulling out in New theory. Hampshire? I do. Five percent. Five. <laughs> Five percent in New Hampshire. Where he will have You're to go and be in a dogfight with Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> we love to say it. Ramaswamy. Don't like his hair, though. It's very unsettling. Uh, th- then he goes to a dogfight where he's trying to stay out of fourth place with Ramaswamy or potentially fifth place, just in case Christie's zombie voters wind up finishing <laughs> with 6%. And at that point, DeSantis is utterly humiliated. I mean, that then yeah. is a is a true worst case scenario for him. Mm-hmm. So I think DeSantis's best case scenario is that he finishes like a point or two points behind Haley. He runs back to Tallahassee, waits 24 hours, then suspends his campaign, says we had a lot of forces working against us. We're going to continue killing the wokes here in Florida and uh, eating our puddings and making sure the gays are scared. And uh, and hopefully then everybody else will just like stop looking at him. <laughs> Kids grow up a little bit and he gets to be the first gentleman of Florida back in the governor's mansion while Casey yeah. does her thing. Yeah, I, I uh, think that is DeSantis's, opt- again, just incentives. Uh, I don't think you have to be a genius to see this stuff. But if you look at what the future looks like for him if he finishes second versus finishing third. And I think he vastly prefers to finish third. Okay, so I think this is... T- I think that's crazy talk, but I love it. I love it as a theory. I think, uh, of course, he wants to come in second. His political career is over if he comes in third. He's humiliated in front of his donors. Uh, I I love your idea that he. <laughs> I think even if he comes in, uh, if he comes in a super duper duper distant second and beats Haley by a couple of points, uh, I still think he gets out. I still think he gets out. 
You do? I think that's harder. I don't you know why? I think it's harder he'll get, to get he'll out. Get, you know why? He'll get out and endorse Trump. Uh, and, and this is the thing. You've been saying this, and I forget to say it all the time. Like, whenever people are doing their fantasy Nikki scenario, like last night on Hayes, David Pluff was kind of like laying out the the Haley scenario. And I was like, I kept wanting to, you can't do this on TV, but I kept wanting to interject to be like, right. But the thing is, is that DeSantis drops out, his voters go to Trump. DeSantis's vote, like the consolidation is only going to help Trump as, so let's say DeSantis drops out I don't know that it's going to make a huge difference if his where his five percent go in New Hampshire, but in South Carolina uh, and in also we haven't even talked about Nevada. Nevada, Nevada is, is a like, party caucus. Trump is going to win by Saddam Hussein margins there. But do you know that half of them are in a primary? Like, there's a primary and a caucus. Like Nikki Haley is going to win the primary there, which is like a different function than the caucus. Yeah. Doesn't even make any sense. The I'm delegates like, are all with the caucus. Trump wanted to no, not yeah, be right. on the. This is the yes. That's right. See, and isn't so like, the Trump screwed up here? Trump. Did, no, no, no. Trump Trump's doing the right thing. Decided. But I don't understand what Nikki Haley's doing. Thinking she thinks she's going to win the primary but get zero delegates. That's great. Good luck. What Good luck. You, what is this about? Well, the other half of, t- of today's piece is how Nikki actually is terrified of winning New Hampshire because winning New Hampshire. <laughs> is catastrophic for her. Oh my and God, you're so I funny. will just leave this there <laughs> and you can read it maybe before next Friday. Hey, Sarah, do you know there's there's actually more of the show? Oh, yeah. there is? How much more? There's more, so much more. All of the more. It goes on for hours. If people want to get the rest of the show, you, you know what they have to do, right? I think they have to go to Bowler Plus. Do they have to subscribe? What do they yes, have to do? Yes, they have to pay us money. Oh. Good. Pay that man his money. And go uh, to thebulwark.com and subscribe to become a member of Bulwark Plus. All the good stuff's on the other side. Bye.